God, uh, once again, we come before you and you ask that you would bless, Lord, your word, that you would speak to us. God, that you would remind us of the victory that is coming, God, how you will conquer, you will conquer evil and wickedness and Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And there is an end to all of this, God. And so we do praise your name, God. We lift you up forever and ever, Lord. And we ask right now that you would bless your word, that your spirit would anoint this time, God, and, and use what we learn today, God, to really transform our lives, Lord, in the way we live and how we see things, and God, in our dedication and in our love to you. So I ask God for just a special touch today, Lord, as we get into this book. In Jesus' name I ask. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to put a picture up on the screen. Uh, Take a look at this picture. Uh, Gonna be up there in a second. Yeah, real, real soon here. But if you could take a look at this, uh, it's it's coming. Well, while they're working on that, uh, what you're gonna see is back in 2019, uh, a Monica Aramayo took this picture on her on her phone in San Salvador de Jujuy, Argentina, as the sun broke through the clouds. So you can see it now. Yeah. When she posted this now on social media, it went viral. Many comments, of course, came flooding in. I mean, what do we think right away when we see that, right? Oh, wow, it looks like Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, Some saw it as a sign of the second coming, that Jesus is coming. Some even pointed out that it seemed like he had like a crown of thorns, or, or maybe it's a kingly thorn to me on top of his head. Some people just said, ah, it's just the sun rays, you know, rays of sunlight coming through. Some of the comments that were posted were like this. The Lord will soon come for us all and we should be ready. (laughs) Uh, Someone posted this. They wrote this. If Jesus came back, he would make us all disappear because we are worth nothing. (laughs) I guess we are unworthy. And one more comment that was posted was, thanks for the image that allows us to keep on our path and have a better hope for tomorrow. I like that one. Well, because we know Jesus will return soon one day. He's coming. We've talked about it last week. We've been talking about it in our study and in the Gospels that he will return on the clouds with power and great glory. And certainly that picture speaks of, wow, look at the clouds and the light and everything. Well, this gives us this hope, doesn't it, that there is a better tomorrow coming. And that's what I want to put into your hearts today as we continue and return to our study in the book of Revelation chapter 19. Now we come to part two of what we started last week and our title was the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ. We're here. We've made it to this point now. We made it to this place in the book of Revelation where we see Jesus returning to the earth. Now Last time we covered from verse 11 through 16. If you missed that, I encourage you to uh, grab it on Spotify, on the Apple iPod, or, or uh, you know, watch the uh, 
uh, archive uh, video on YouTube or Facebook there. But uh, last time we looked at Revelation chap- uh, chapter 19 from verse 11 to 16, and we covered the first part in our outline, which is the appearance of the king. Well, today we're going to go on from verse 17 through 21, and we're going to take the rest of our outline in this part two, the assembly of the birds and the arrival of Armageddon. So all together, we are coming today to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Part one was number one, the appearance of the king. And now we're going to go on today with the rest of this chapter, the assembly of the birds and the arrival of Armageddon. So let's get into number two in our outline now, the assembly of the birds, the assembly of the birds. Now we're going to be covering verses 17 and 18 in this section. So let's take a look at those two verses. Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. It begins here. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. All right, we'll stop right here. Now, John, uh, John here, the Apostle John, he begins here and continues really writing what he saw next. And that's why we had the word then in verse 17. Now, this was after Jesus was appearing on a white horse, right? His appearance of the king, number one in our outline, what we studied last week. We went into depth of verse 11 through 16 on how uh, there was three names of Jesus who was called faithful and true, the word of God, the king of and the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We got into that, and in between that were other descriptions of Jesus. We saw ten things. I'm not going to name them for you, but that's why we took the time to just focus in on number one in our outline: the appearance of the King. So we saw Jesus coming in basically as the conquering King to bring judgment upon the world. So he's finally coming in this second coming of Jesus Christ that's been talked about so much in the book of Revelation and in all of Scripture, even in Old Testament prophecy. So just stop for a moment. This is the moment. This is the time right where we're at. Jesus, the door of heaven has opened up, right? Verse 11. And Jesus is seen there sitting on that white horse. The armies of heaven behind him, the angels and us, right? He returns with ten thousands and thousands of his saints. We're there on horses too. And so the door of heaven opens in this darkened world and there's Jesus. And so we come right here at this moment, this incredible the greatest amazing moment in all of history i mean this is it this is that this is coming the end of evil the end of wickedness the end of sin and jesus we learn finally comes to redeem the earth back into his control out of the hands of Satan and the Antichrist and his assistant, the false prophet. And that's what's been prophesied. That's what's been talked about for so long. This is the end of the world as we know it. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, 
After Jesus, the doors of heaven open and the glory of heaven illuminates the darkened world. Remember we talk about this. The sun is burnt out. And there everyone can see, every eye will see Jesus sitting there about to descend down. Then in verse 17, John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, some commentators say, well, maybe God like uh, uh, started up the sun again. But you know what? For me, I think after the, the bold judgments, you know, the last two judgments that darkened everything, God darkened the world in judgment and the earthquake that put out all the lights in the city and all. Well, uh, I believe that the sun is the light of the Son of God or the glory of heaven coming out. I think it's like this angel appears out of this, this glory, out of the light, out of the light coming out, out of heaven's light illuminating all the darkness like sun's rays coming. And here is Jesus. I mean, the angel, yeah? Maybe above Jesus, to the side of Jesus, all of a sudden appearing and piercing that darkness. Here's this angel. And verse 17, it says, With a loud voice he called now to all the birds that fly directly overhead. What are these birds? I mean, don't all birds fly over our heads? But think about this for a moment. Let me uh, just put in your mind, what does it say in the first part of verse 18? To eat the flesh of kings. So what does that put in your mind? These vultures, right? These scavengers, how they circle. We've seen it in the movies. Maybe you've seen vultures do that. Uh, so these birds really are vultures that are flying directly overhead. They're other vultures, other scavengers that are going to come and feed on dead flesh. So these vultures now are called together. The angel says in verse 17, come gather for the great supper of God. Now in contrast, we had the marriage of the supper of the Lamb, right, where the, the ceremony we talked about, believers being officially joined together with Christ. And now they're there coming down with Christ. And, and, and now here is another supper it's a supper of God's judgment upon the world. And that's what we're going to see in the next verse. But we're going to see God coming in. So uh, coming in with judgment and ending all of this with the death of the army. So these vultures are called to gather together. So they think of, picture this, they begin to circle directly over the, the heads of everyone all in the sky overhead. It's like what we see in the in the movies, you know. It's those vultures, or those skinhead kind of bald, you know, birds that are flying around. Uh, I was reading turkey vultures, some one of the type of scavengers. I read that their wingspan can grow up to six feet long. And they could circle overhead, uh, um, just riding on the, 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 the currents of air, the warm currents, and without flapping the wings. And they'll just circle ahead over the dead animal below. I read that a turkey vulture can detect death from a mile away. 
They can, they can sense that. They can smell that. One article I read called them nature's cleanup crew. And really, that, that's what the angel, the angel is calling these scavengers to get ready to clean up this defeated army that will happen when Jesus finally returns to the earth. So then in verse uh, 18, the angel calls him to gather, to feast on what? Verse 18, to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men. Now, the kings are the leaders of the, the countries of the world that have gathered here. The flesh of captains, those under the leaders there, that have gathered here. And the flesh of the mighty men, the armies and the guys and the people who have come to fight here in this battle here that's coming. And every, it says that, um, uh, verse eight, 18, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave. It's just including everyone there. Every person in whatever social status they hold, both small and great. In other words, you birds, you vultures, you're going to feast, you're going to eat on these men. And that means no one will survive. So get ready to feast on the dead. I kind of picture this, these birds flying around. Maybe you look up and, you, and maybe the people on earth can see the silhouette of these birds circling around. Everyone knows what that means. I, I can imagine the, the army guys looking down on the ground, seeing this shadow yeah, of the birds from the light of the glory of God and Jesus coming down. And there's a shadow and there's these birds, yeah, giant shadows because of the light and how high they're up. And they're coming and you see the shadow circling around. I can imagine some saying, I have a bad feeling about this. Right? It's a forecast of what's coming. It's a forecast of what these vultures sense. The assembly of the birds really signals the end. That's why this is important. The assembly of the birds signals the end. Jesus mentioned it this way in Matthew chapter 24, 28. And this is the NLT version. It says, Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. So I think he keyed in on that, that we understand the sign of the vulture circling ahead. I think he keyed in that and also attached all the signs he spoke about in Matthew 24. But boy, does that hit home in what we're looking at here in verse 17 and 18. So this brings us to this point. The circling of vultures is a sign of the end and points to Christ's victory before the battle even begins. Do you see that? They're going to be defeated. No one is going to survive. So the circling of vultures is a sign of the end. And not only that, it points to Christ's victory before the battle even begins. You know, I was reading how before Israel settled in and became a nation there in the land in 1948, the whole area was a desert. It was, it was a, a wasteland. It was a wilderness. There was no trees, no crops. So there were barely any animals and birds and living there. But when Israel returned there and God blessed the land, the, the, the desert, the wilderness, 
came streams. There were streams in the desert came in. And the whole land came to life again. And you know what? So did the birds. It's interesting, uh, not only did the birds return to the land, but it's reported, and I thought this was interesting, that over 500 million birds migrate through Israel from Europe to Africa every year. And Israel actually has become a destination for bird watchers. And they also see birds of prey come through as well, like vultures. I thought that was interesting. Now, all over the world, in the past years, the vulture population actually has been going down. It's because of pesticides that animals eat, and the vultures eat them, the dead animals, and they die. Or farmers poisoning the vultures because they don't like them around. But there's currently a move in the world for... for, Uh, bringing back the vultures and bringing back the population and in Israel. Israel has actually set up a nesting and feeding stations throughout the land to increase the population of vultures. Interesting, yeah? I think it's all being really, by God's sovereign hand, being set up to what we're seeing here. This call vultures, yeah, to come right before Jesus returns. And so this is a sign. The increase of vultures is a sign that the end is near. What is prophesied here, what is seen here, is coming true right now. And I'm just talking about vultures. Yeah, There's a lot of other prophecies we see. But it's a sign that this is all coming true. Did you know that in the Bible there are 2,163 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ? And, and now there's more than 300 prophecies of the first coming of Jesus. So that means for every prophecy on the first coming, there are eight on the second coming. You can say that's a one to eight ratio. And think about this. Every single prophecy of Jesus' first coming has come true. So what do you think about His second coming? What do you think about those prophecies? They will come true. And even this one, including the gathering of these huge birds to get ready for the defeat of the armies of the Antichrist. It's real. This is a sign. This is what we see. This is a, a signal that the end is right there. That, that there's, there's going to be death to these armies. Can you see signs in front of you? Can you look into the world and see signs? Can, can you see even in the, the weird society we live in today a sign of what's coming around the corner? They're right in front of us. The end is near. And you know what? It's time now to get your life right with God. It's time now to take care of those things. It's time to to turn from your sins. It's time to repent. It's time to go to Jesus and, 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 and stop drawing a line like, Well, God, I'll only go up to here and I'll be okay and thinking that's okay. But when you know in your heart the Holy Spirit is telling you to go beyond that, to go farther, you know that. But you've been lazy. You've been comfortable. You've been uh, not wanting to make that commitment. But today is the day because the signs are right there. And just as the vultures flying and circling around the armies here, 
is a sign. So even the increase of vultures today and in all the signs of prophecy that have been fulfilled, they are signs to us that Jesus Christ is coming. It's right around the corner. Soon it will be, you guys, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, we see the assembly of the birds. Well, if I pull in last week, the appearance of the king, the assembly of the birds, and now here we come, our last heading, number three. Here is the moment, the arrival of Armageddon, the arrival of Armageddon. Now we're going to cover the rest of this chapter from verse 19 through 21. But first of all, take a look at verse 19. Verse 19. It says here, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. Now, picture as heaven's doors is opened up, verse 11, there's Jesus. There's the army of the heavenly army behind him. Then we just read that the angel calls out these vultures and scavengers and they're circling around. Their shadow of wings is going all around. And now we see here the armies have gathered together. The scene changes. The, 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 the picture in this movie, a true story we see in this prophecy is now it goes to the earth. And we see the armies that are gathered here. We see the lineup here. Here we have lined up first the beast. And who is the beast? We know the Antichrist, right? The, the, the ruler of, of the world at this time. The ruler of a one world government. He's been the head guy there. We see the beast, the Antichrist. And he's there leading his, this, this army, his army in battle. We also see with it, um, we also see, and the kings, in verse 19, the kings of the earth, all the leaders of the governments, they're leading their armies, with their armies, they're there, there. Here's the lineup, the Antichrist, all the leaders of the countries of the world, and their armies. And I think of it this way, every army in the world are gathered now here to fight. And here's the Antichrist at the end, and their leaders, uh, his leaders under him of every country. Now, they're gathered here, it says here, gathered here to make war against him. Against who? Jesus Christ. Now, where are they gathered? Where are they gathered? Well, we learn where they're gathered. Back in Revelation chapter 16, 16, we see that after being demonically influenced, they gather together at a place called Armageddon. In the Hebrew, it's called Armageddon, uh, the Valley of Megiddo there. It's 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, it's where, this is where all the armies of the world are going to converge. These are the players. This is the place. This is the location for the final battle for earth. And they gather to make war. To who? The one who's sitting on the white horse. Right? They, they come against him and his army, his army, the heavenly army, us and Jesus Christ. So here it is. This is the moment. This is the time where we find the arrive for the end. This is the arrival of Armageddon. Now, 
I was thinking about this. Why does the Antichrist and all the armies of the world converge here in the Valley of Megiddo? Why, why is it there? Why, why not in Europe? Yeah? Why, why not somewhere in the East? Why is it here? Why not in Egypt even? Why is it right here? Well, we know that it's been prophesied this, but there's some events, right, that, that, that kind of bring it all together. Did they know Jesus is gonna, um, uh, going to appear, that heaven's doors was going to open at that moment? Did, did they know? Is that why they gathered together at that time? Did they know the battle would happen? And so they're all gathered there to fight Jesus? Why is that? Well, let me lay out this scenario for you. And th- this is my take. And of course, you can study this on your own. But we learned in our studies in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 and 45 that, that right before Armageddon, it seems, the countries of this, that are south of Israel come and rebel. And in one country, I mentioned Syria back then, uh, from the north, came and rebelled against the Antichrist, tried to fight against the Antichrist and his rule, but he defeats them. We learned that in Daniel chapter 11. Uh, perhaps it could be some other countries like Libya, maybe Ethiopia, but either way, the Antichrist defeats them. Then, in Daniel 11, it says countries from the north and east come against the Antichrist, who has now set up battle headquarters in, you know where? The Valley of Megiddo. Perhaps um, it's Russia. Perhaps it's northern countries like Iran or Turkey. Maybe they're, they're trying to get together again. And perhaps they're not happy with the way things are going. The world is falling apart at this moment. Yeah? A lot of calamities. The economy is shot. And, and, and maybe they don't like him anymore. They don't like him that, well, we don't want to worship this guy. Yeah? Because look what's happening. In the east, so all the northern countries come down, Daniel 11 tells us. And then countries from the east, kings from the east come. And in the east, it could be China with the 200 million man army, wants to challenge the Antichrist and his army too. Especially, again, with the world economy, their economy, right? Their huge economy right now is shot. And and they see that the Antichrist is doing nothing about it. Now, that... Daniel 11, how they're converging there, the northern kings and the eastern kings come into the valley of Megiddo, and that's Daniel 11 after he, he defeated the south, southern guys. Well, that Daniel 11 coincides with what we saw in the sixth bowl that was poured out in Revelation 16. Remember the Euphrates dried up and it made way for the kings of the east to come over to Armageddon, to Megiddo there. And another thing with the bowl we learned with that sixth bowl, that demons went out to influence and move these kings to come to Megiddo for battle. Now, if we put together that the kings of the north and kings of the east are coming to battle the Antichrist and, 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 and these demons influence them, perhaps these demons uh, are getting them riled up and getting them even more angry that they got to go take him out, that they got to fight against it. But you know what? I believe it's all a ploy, it's all a scam 
that Satan's going to play with their emotions to get them to come there, to, to, to get them to come to this place, to gather together. And then, I feel like the Antichrist is then going to convince them and say, you know what? Jesus is really the cause of all this. God caused all the calamity, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. It's, it's all the devastation. It's God. And perhaps the Antichrist is putting some rhetoric like, see how selfish God is? God doesn't care about you. Oh, he's protecting his little Jewish people. But how about us? How about us? He's unfair and he's making all of us to suffer. It's not me, it's God. God's the enemy. It could be that even at this point, there's some prophecies that might indicate that the Antichrist, he has positioned forces around Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives because Zechariah 14 talks about when Jesus returns, he'll put one foot on the Mount of Olives and one foot on Jerusalem. It could be the Antichrist demonically convinces the kings to fight, not him, but to fight Jesus. And to even, and then after Jesus, we're going to destroy God's people who've been protected, right, all this time, where I believe will be Petra. So, once, think about it this way now, with that scenario. Once all the armies have converged in Megiddo, there, and the, the northern kings, the kings of the east come, they come to fight the Antichrist, they're all gathered together in this huge World War III, we could say. Well, perhaps at, it's at that point the door of heaven opens. The glory of heaven, the light of heaven illuminates the darkened world. Everyone's attention is on that. There's Jesus now sitting on a white horse. There's a heavenly armies behind him. And at that moment, perhaps the Antichrist says, look, that's the guy. It's not me. That's the guy. He's your enemy. He's the one. And then while the, the vultures and birds are circling around, casting a shadow of gloom upon them, right? The, 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 the demons whisper into the ears of the general, saying, See, Jesus wants to destroy you guys. Do you see that sign? And he's the one who calls this. He's the enemy. So I present that to you in, in all my studies and through all the years I was kind of putting this together. Perhaps that could be the way this happens. That could be how the armies of the world turn and try and fight Jesus. That's how, that's how we can reconcile in Daniel 11 that they, first you know, the kings of the east and the north are coming to fight the Antichrist. But it could be this kind of scenario. And with that, I want to put this out. All the armies of the world have gathered together to join forces with the Antichrist and go against Jesus. If anything, that's true. But how did it get there? That's how. That's how it got there. All the armies of the world have gathered together to join forces with the Antichrist and go against Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment, too, how Satan works. 
for example, in our studies in the book of Luke recently, we've been talking about how the people who had expectations of what Jesus, what the Messiah was supposed to do, take take over the Romans, bring in the kingdom at that time. I mean, but that's the second coming. He's going to establish his kingdom, right? They thought, well, without the Messiah, they're supposed to do that. They expected him to come and do that, but rather than conquer, he was crucified. He was arrested. And so what happened? Then they started saying, right? We're, we're right here. If you guys can catch it on Wednesday online or come, come. We're right here at the last week of Jesus' life. That's what we're in in Luke. At the beginning of the week, on Sunday, they're, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the name of, of, of the God, right? Of God, the King who comes in the name of the Lord. By the end of the week, they're saying, crucify and crucify him. Why? Because they expected Jesus to do something, and when they, Jesus didn't do it, what? They turned on him. They only respected God or Jesus if he did what they wanted, and when that didn't happen, they, they turned on Jesus, and they said, crucify him. Kill him. Get him out of this. Now listen, with that in mind, understand this is Satan's tactic. To get you to focus on what you want, what you think, what makes sense to you. He puts so much on you to focus. Even, you, you might even take the Bible and say, Oh yeah, yeah, see the Bible's this, the Bible's this. That person, oh, forget him. But you miss some other scriptures that are in here. Because he's having you focus on what you want. And you know what? You're only making God a slave to do your bidding. And when he doesn't do what you want him to do or what you expected him to do, what do you do? You're confused. You're frustrated. You're discouraged. And then you turn on God. You cut him out. When he doesn't perform in the way you want him to perform. And this is exactly the same strategy here by the Antichrist. That's why... I kind of bring you this scenario. Because I see Satan working that way now. I see him working that way in my own life. In our church, in other Christians, in the body of Christ in general right now. This is exactly the same strategy here. He gets the army there. He gets them super upset. Oh, we don't like him. We're going to take him. We're going to get him. Daniel 11. We're going to take him down. We don't want him the leader anymore. They get super upset and mad and emotions are flowing and Satan's right there pushing. And then Satan takes that emotion and turns it around against Jesus. Have you noticed that same thing going on in your heart? You may get super upset It's at those who really love you. Super emotional at those who really care. Super angry at the church, at the pastor. Super angry at leadership. Super angry at those who, and bitter even, to those that God put to really care for you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. God put them there and you get super angry at them. Then it's the strategy of the devil to get you angry at God, disappointed. And his next step is for you to, you know what? 
Join forces with him against God. Join forces against God's work, God's people, of that person he put in your life. That's Satan's strategy. And you know, in the end, you do Satan's will and not God's. What disappointments are you harboring? Broken expectations are you struggling with? God didn't do what I prayed for. God didn't God I didn't expect this to happen. God, I'm not at a place in my life that I really wanted to be right now. I didn't get that girl. I didn't get that guy. I didn't get that job. I don't have the money. So what do you do? The devil whispers in your ear and you get upset at God. See, God's not for you. Everything you read here, see. Or he puts this thought, oh, it's only for the really good people. Yeah. His favorites. Yeah. Can you imagine Antichrist? See the Jews, they're protected. That there is favorites. See how unfair that is? They're protected in Petra right now. He's not worth it. God's not worth it. Give it up and, and then and then you throw down your principles. Things that you've done for years, things that you've committed to, things that you've held to, all of a sudden, now nah, I'm not gonna do that. And you draw a line. Well, I'll do it over your butt. You know what? No more. You, maybe you don't know it, but you're really joining forces with who? Satan. And you're really fighting against God and His purposes. So that's how I believe that all the armies of the world will gather together. That's how I believe they'll join forces with the Antichrist and go against Jesus Christ. But even though how evil that strategy is and how powerful the demonic influences are, even with the whole world joining him, they're not going to win. Take a look at verse 20 and 21. It says, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worship its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on a horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. A nice bedtime story for your kids here. No. <laughs> Isn't this great? But but wait, wait, you might be saying, wait, 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 wait. Are are we missing something here? Is 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 the translation here not like are like skip the verse or something? It almost seems like that, doesn't it? I mean, all, all, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, and the beast was captured, and a false prophet's like, wait, wait a minute, wait. Where's the battle? Where's the clashing of swords? Ching, ching. Or where's even the missiles? Or the power coming out? Where's the artillery? 
Where's that scene of Jesus riding through, yeah, pressing on through the whole armies and everyone and, and trampling them and, and killing them as he makes his way to the Antichrist and he reaches the Antichrist and he fights that big epic battle and the false prophet standing beside him and he conquers them and he, and he grabs them and captures them and throws them into hell. Where's that scene? It, 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 it seems anticlimactic here. And the other day, we, um, we were watching this series, and, and we went on what we thought was the next one. I was like, wait a minute. We're missing some information here. You know, I think we skipped the episode, and we did. So where's that episode here? It's very anticlimactic. Because all we see is the beast. Who's that? The Antichrist. The false prophet, right? His assistant, right? Back in Revelation 13, who, who had the image of him made, who brought it to life, who influenced him, had everyone, right? Worship the, the, the image of the beast, worship the Antichrist, and to take the mark. The false prophet. They're all captured. Is that it? Jesus captures them and throws them into the lake of fire, the eternal judgment of hell. Just like that, you guys. The evil adversaries who led the world to go against God is defeated. Just in an instant. And we're going to see Satan too in the next chapter. That's it, guys. This is it. This is it. Verse 21, even the armies... And the rest, right? The rest of the armies who came against God were slain and the vultures gorged on them. They, they had their food, right? But we see why it happened like that in an instant. Because in the rest of verse 21, it says they were slain, killed by how? By the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on a white horse. Who's that? Jesus, right? And what is this sword? His spoken word. Remember we talked about in verse 15. We mentioned that last week that the, he comes and appears a sword in his mouth and it's symbolic to his word, his spoken word, his powerful word. And that's why there's no sound of clashing swords or missiles or bombs going off or artillery or anything. Jesus just spoke and it was over just like that in an instant. So think about this. This big buildup yeah, of Armageddon that, 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 that we even use right as a word for the biggest battle, the end of the earth, uh, uh, you know, cataclysmic things happening, the giant wars, all this stuff, right? The arrival of Armageddon ended faster than it came to pass. Why? Because of the power of Jesus. This is it, you guys. Verse 20 and 21 is the peak of the book of Revelation. I mean, we're going to go on to, to see Jesus establish his kingdom and the new heaven and earth after this. But this is it. We've been building up to this. Do you know that we have done 45 studies now? in the book of Revelation, over one year. And finally, the end of the world, as we know, the end of evil, the end of sin, the end of the Antichrist, the end of the false prophet, the end of Satan, right here is happening. It's sort of anticlimactic, but should we expect anything less from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? 
Here's what I think happened. We don't see the exact detail, but but let, let me just give you my take on this too. But let me preface it this way. Just like, you remember on the last night of Jesus' life, right? On that, that Thursday night or early, super early Friday morning, right? On his last night when he, he, they came to arrest him, right? And the temple police come and, 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 and they, they say, uh, Jesus is like, well, who are you looking for? And they say, well, I'm looking, we were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, John 18, 8. And remember what happened? Jesus answered and said, I am he. And what happened? They fell down. Boom. They all just, boom, fell down. In other words, he said, I am the great I am. I am that I am. I am God. And boom, they fell down. I think the crazy thing is they got back up. Right? And she said, who are you looking for? <laughs> and she said, well, hey, just spare these guys. And Jesus went willingly. So he saw Jesus could have gotten out of it, but again, that's another uh, thought, right? That he willingly laid down his life here. But they all fell down when he said, I am he. So think about this now. We'll rewind a little bit. Think about when heaven's door opens in verse 11. Jesus is sitting on a white horse. And at that very moment, the Antichrist points and is diverting all the motion and anger and, and bitterness again towards God, right? He's, he's, he's taking all of that and directing it toward Jesus and grabbing and inf- demonically grabbing everyone's hearts to go against God. That we're going to fight against Jesus, So heaven opens. He's pointing. That's Jesus. Then Jesus descends. And here he comes on the white horse, the heavenly army behind him. He descends down with the heavenly army following him. And the Antichrist, as if on cue, points to Jesus in the sky. There he is. He's the one. He's bringing all this calamity. He's the enemy. He is the one. We got to get him. He's the cause of all this. He's the one. And then think about Jesus. He just opens his mouth and says, You're right. I am. Boom. In other words, I am God. And just like that, the armies fall. Just like that, the Antichrist and the false prophet are taken into custody. And they're thrown into the depths of hell. Just like that in an instant. Can you imagine that? I am. Yeah, I am. I am the one. You know what he's saying? This is our last point. That the battle of Armageddon is not really a battle at all. It is a final testimony to the world that Jesus is God. That's what it is. It's this final testimony to the world that Jesus is God. When we talk about the battle of Armageddon, it's not really a battle, is it? No. Jesus just speaks, and in an instant, it's done. I like how John Phillips put it. He wrote, Once he spoke a word by, to a fig tree, and it withered away. Once he spoke a word to howling winds and heaving waves, and the storm clouds vanished, and the waves stood still. Remember that? 
Once he spoke to a legion of demons bursting at the seams of a poor man's soul. And instantly they fled. Now he speaks a word and the war is over. I love that. I think he put it well here. What are you afraid of today? What are you stressed out about? Does it seem like evil is winning? Does it seem like you're going under? Have you lost hope? Let's trust in the power of the word of Jesus. His word can set you free. His word will bring victory. His word will send the demons fleeing. His word is faithful and true because he is the king of kings. He is the word of God. He is the Lord of lords. He is God. Jesus is God. And he's in our life. He's, he, 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 he's caring for us. He's our shepherd. This is God. And so no matter how big the army is, they are no match against the Lord our God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Are you in some kind of mess? Are you struggling in some trial or test? Do you feel like you're, you're a victim in, 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 of Satan's? Attacks and, and, and his, his oppression upon you. Well, someone once said this, only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. I like that. That's God. That is the Jesus we have. And we know he can do it. We know he can because he is God. And so you know what? Let Jesus be God in your life. Let me say it again. Let Jesus be God in your life. Let him be your God. Let Jesus be the one who brings the victory. Let Jesus be the one who frees you and who wins. I'll close with this. A shoeshine man named Sam worked in a building that put him in contact with many uh, college students of theology from a, a Bible college in, in the same building that he worked at. Sam loved the Lord. He, he was a Christian. And he, he listened intently as these young men would discuss and debate their position in Scripture. So they would, they would like talk doctrine and their views and theology and things like that. Well, two college students especially uh, interested Sam. He liked what they talked about. These two had different opinions on the book of Revelation. They had different takes and different parts of the book and how they saw things and interpretation. Well, day after day, Sam listened to uh, them, their eloquent and often passionate discussions in defense of their different views. One day, in the middle of this debate between these two students, one looked at Sam and just happened to say, Oh, Sam, what do you think of all these things in the book of Revelation? What do you think it really means? Well, with a big smile on his face, Sam looked up and simply said, Jesus is going to win. That's it. That's it. We may not understand everything fully, but we know the end of the book. We know this end section we're in. We know what's going to happen. And there's that one thing for sure. Jesus is going to win. 
And that should give us that hope to go on another day. That should give us that hope that no matter what happens, we're on the winning side. And that no matter what's going on, it will come to an end. As we see here, Satan will, the Antichrist will, the false prophet, all the evil and sin in the world, the world and all its evils will end because we find it here at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, amazing scriptures we studied today. Amazing that this is the end of the world as we know it. We're staring at it. We stared at it today, God. And it happens in an instant. It happens by your spoken word. I believe you'll just say, yeah, I am he. And that's it. Poof. It's done. Oh, God. I am humbled that you would even love me. I count myself not worthy of your love, of your care, even your attention. Who, who am I? Just this little worm in the soil of this earth yet. Jesus, you came to die on a cross for our sins. You came, God, in this great love and grace and mercy because you wanted us. You wanted a relationship with us. Lord, you wanted to save us and rescue us from, from Satan, from the evil and wickedness of the world, from our own flesh and our sinful flesh and sin. God, you came to save us from ourselves, and I pray for that right now. Lord, that we would not be caught up, Lord, in, in the plot, in the schemes of Satan. They're intricate. They're not always so black and white. His strategies are, they, they go deep and far. He knows us. He knows what baits to take. He knows where we will compromise, where we may draw a line where we never did before. So, Lord, we ask for your help, and we recognize that now. We ask, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would help us, Lord, to open our eyes to those schemes and strategy and not give in to that but to trust you wholly and put our hope in you, God, and to cling to you, Jesus, because we know in the end you will win. And as we move into this time of communion, we remember that it all started there at the cross in your first coming when you gave your life for us. So, Lord, help us right now. We surrender and we commit all to you. God, you gave all to us. What more can we do for you? In Jesus' name, amen.